We'll hear argument now in uh, number 00292, CNL Enterprises versus the Citizen Band Potawatomi Indian Tribe of Oklahoma. Mr. Mashburn. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Potawatomi Indian Tribe on August 25, 1993, presented a contract to CNL Enterprises for the construction of a roof upon a bank building that the tribe was building off of the reservation. The contract contained an arbitration provision specifically adopting the rules of the American Arbitration Association and also specifically providing that the award, the arbitration award in such proceedings, would be enforceable by judgment. There is no question that the arbitration agreement provided that the tribe waived its immunity as to the American Arbitration Association and its arbitration proceedings. There is well, no — Well, but it didn't use the magic phrase. It didn't say waive immunity. That's correct, Your Honor. And, and we believe the standard — that no standard has required that it specifically state we waive sovereign immunity. Rather, they, they clearly stated we agree to be brought into American Arbitration Association and to be subjected to arbitration, a binding arbitration. They went further than that, and they said in, in the agreement we agree that a judgment may be entered upon that. I understand. And the ambiguity that the respondent attempts to raise is regarding which court is being referred to where the phrase recites any court of competent jurisdiction. However, we believe that that argument of ambiguity fails for four reasons. First, the American Arbitration Association Rule 47C, which is incorporated by the very terms of the clause, states that awards under their procedures may be uh, enforced as a judgment in any federal or state court. The contract itself selects Oklahoma law as governing law. In addition to this Court's rulings in uh, Mescalero, Oklahoma Tax Commission versus Potawatomi, organized village of Kaki, uh, all of those saying that when the tribe goes off the reservation, it is subject to the substantive laws of the state. The third reason is tribal court is not mentioned anywhere in the contract. And the fourth reason is we don't believe the tribal court would have had jurisdiction to even hear this case under the ruling in Montana versus United States because it is involving a non-Indian not on the reservation. Well, but what if the non-Indian brought the suit in the tribal court? Why wouldn't it have had jurisdiction? If the... you, you, because, you, you would because be suing tribal... on, the, on the arbitration award. It seemed to me you would waive any objection to tribal jurisdiction if you brought the suit. We believe that that type of jurisdiction is, jurisdiction is, in fact, subject matter jurisdiction, because under the ruling in Montana versus United States, the Court indicated that tribes don't have jurisdiction to hear matters unless it's been specifically given to them by Constitution or statute. But there's a consensual ex- exception to Montana, too, is there not, or where, the, where there's a consensual transaction between the tribe and a non-Indian? Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. One of the two exceptions that are carved out under Montana is for a party that enters into a consensual agreement. However, Montana doesn't even get to, we believe, those exceptions until you find that it's on reservation activity. All of the, all of the activity discussed in Montana and in the cases we've reviewed following that regard on reservation activity. Now, if the very same clause were in a contract that uh, your client entered into with a state, do you think there that we would have found a waiver of Eleventh Amendment immunity? Yes, but the question is more difficult, and if I could explain, I would have thought we wouldn't that our cases would have said no, that wouldn't be enough to waive sovereign immunity. 
under this Court's ruling in Edelman versus Jordan regarding 11th Amendment immunity, the Court stated that the rule is that that the waiver, and again, this only applies, as you know, to 11th Amendment immunity from suit in federal court, but the courts even there stated that the rule regarding whether the, a provision waives such immunity is that it must be stated by the most express language or by such overwhelming implications from the text as will leave no room for any other reasonable construction. And in this situation, under the same circumstances, we believe that that standard would find a waiver because there is no other reasonable construction of this clause when you take what the clause incorporates, and in fact, in this Court's ruling in Port Authority versus Feeney and subsequently in Kimmel versus Florida Board of Regents, the Court recognized that the, the consent provision may look to other provisions. In, in Port, Port Authority, it looked to a venue provision. In Kimmel, it looked uh, for an ADA claim. It looked to the Fair Labor Standards Act well, and, do you, and do you, found — Do you concede, Mr. Mashburn, that an Indian tribe has the same sort of immunity as a state under the 11th Amendment? No, Mr. Chief Justice, we do not. We believe that that, that is peculiar to the states and, and that that at the very most is the highest standard that this Court should apply, and we don't believe that that is appropriate for Indian Well, tribes. in some ways, Indian tribes have been given more immunity than states. Hasn't, hasn't that been the there is some discussion of that in the, in the dissenting opinion in Kiowa, that it, that it appears that that's what the Court is doing. We don't believe that that's co- what the Court intended to do, and certainly we don't believe that that's the rule that should be followed here. We believe that the Court should find a waiver if there is, is simply a, a clear statement that, using the usual rules of contract construction, that the tribe agreed that, upon a breach, it could be brought to court and sued for the breach of that contract. Mr. Mashburn, as respects foreign sovereigns, Congress in 1988 made specific provision that if you agreed to an arbitration uh, dispute settlement mechanism, uh, then then you have no immunity. But Congress did that by statute, and doesn't that imply that when Congress doesn't do it by statute, the immunity persists? No, Your Honor, we don't believe that it does. First of all, we, we believe that a distinction has to be drawn um, that in, in that instance, Congress was attempting to bring some uniformity to a variation of rules that have been applied. And in fact, the, as this Court recited the history of foreign sovereign immunity in the Kiowa case, there had been a, a move from virtually no immunity to virtually total immunity under, I believe it was the Tate letter, and then shrinking back from that and then applying uh, implied consent from commercial operations. We, we, we don't believe that, that, that the fact that they acted there to specifically provide that as a waiver indicates that where they have not acted, that there is no waiver. And, in fact, we, we believe the Court can take guidance from uh, from the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act and, and from cases leading up to that, finding waivers from uh, entering into commercial relations or, in particular, arbitration agreements, and, and find that that is within the appropriate policy that, that the United States has followed. Well, but you don't also- take the position, do you? Maybe you do that any arbitration agreement necessarily implies the waiver of sovereign immunity? No, Your Honor, I, I believe you have to look to the specific terms you're, of the arbitration you're, agreement. You're dealing and, with this one. Yeah. That's correct. And, but as a general rule, I, we believe that if the arbitration agreement, first of all, if it, if it incorporates rules as this one does, does the Amer- from the American Arbitration Association, then we think it's perfectly appropriate for the Court to look to those rules, and the parties are both on notice that those rules are going to govern the procedures. We also believe the Foreign and Sovereign Immunities Act, of course, was just tracking developments in in international law that had uh, uh, generally allowed suit on commercial transactions by by states. Why why you think it's open to us to apply such a rule to uh, the sovereign immunity of, of Indian tribes, which we made up ourselves anyway, right? That's correct, Your Honor, and, and, it is, and it is correct that it was simply a codification of what was the emerging case law in the field. 
it certainly is appropriate for this Court to draw a, a, a waiver rule as, as lenient as the Foreign Sovereign Immunity Rule and certainly no more strict than the 11th Amendment waiver rule. And this Court has complete authority to do that because, as, you, as Your Honor has stated, this Court recognized in Kiowa that it, it is Court-created doctrine, uh, especially in the context that, that it tends to impinge on the state's rights uh, and being Court-created. Uh, we believe there's even more argument for the, for the Court to move cautiously, and certainly in expanding any immunity that has been afforded to uh, Indian tribes. Mr. Mashburn, even if you could, uh, you read the agreement as saying, yes, they agreed to arbitration, that's explicit right out there, that they are going to resolve this through arbitration. But where do you get tied to that, that the court to enforce the arbitration award will be a state court? There's no explicit agreement to that by the tribe, is there? No, Your Honor, we believe that there is. And the reason that there is is because, first of all, it adopts the American Arbitration Association rule, which says the award may be enforced in state or federal court. Secondly, it adopts uh, Oklahoma's Arbitration Act, which says that the the award may be enforced in any court of the state. And we believe when you combine that with the fact that, that, in our opinion, the tribal court would not have had jurisdiction, there is no ambiguity that the court that is being selected is not the tribal court. So the only other alternative would be to argue that the, that the term, that the provision was meaningless and that it was selecting no court. But we don't even believe that that argument holds water because the parties have adopted Oklahoma law specifically. The parties have adopted the American Arbitration Association rules. And under both of those bodies of law, the forum is either the Oklahoma State Court or Federal Court, but reason, not Tribal Court. The reason that the Tribal Court would not have had jurisdiction is? Under, because under the Court's ruling in Montana versus United States, the Court indicated that unless the, there was specific statute or constitutional provision providing for jurisdiction of uh, over civil matters by the Indian tribe, that it did not have jurisdiction over non-Indians off the reservation. So even if they — are there — is there a tribal court? Is, yes, Your Honor. And has it uh, uh, had uh, uh, any arbitration proceedings? Not in this case. No, no party — Are you — have they had uh, — have they asserted jurisdiction over arbitration in other cases? I'm not aware of whether they have or not, Your Honor. No, no party has attempted to bring any action in tribal court in this case at any time. I wouldn't have thought that the Montana case would prohibit a non-Indian from choosing to resort to tribal court jurisdiction. I mean, if, if your client wanted to go into tribal court to enforce it, I wouldn't have thought Montana would be a barrier. That arose in the context of a tribal court or a tribal plaintiff trying to force a defendant into tribal court. Now, that's a different question. I agree that's a different question. And and, and if the Court views that as more a personal jurisdiction question, then certainly uh, a non-Indian party could consent to that court. Is there an indication that the the tribe would waive its immunity in its own court in this case? Well, we believe the waiver would also include waiving immunity in the tribal court, yes. Or assume you lose uh, — assume you lose in this court on the uh, interpretation of the contract. Uh, I, I take it that the tribe would say that they are immune from suit in their own court as well. Is that correct? I'm sure that they would assert that they are immune from suit in their own court. I need to clarify one, one matter, though, for your previous question, Your Honor. There is some question because it inc- the agreement incorporates the American Arbitration Association rules and because that makes no reference to bringing an action to enforce the award in anything other than state and federal court, I suppose there, should be, there could be some question there whether they were consenting to suit in their own court. 
However, no party has asserted uh, tribal court jurisdiction here. No party has attempted to bring any action in tribal court. Obviously not, because you want to sue them in state court. But they say the words, we agree to be sued in any court, mean any tribal court. What's the answer to that argument? You say they're not, they're not able to say that in a contract? Why not? You and your client and they could sign a contract saying we want to be sued in a tribal court. Is there a tribal court? Yes. What happens if they try to assert immunity in their tribal court? You say you've signed a promise here not to by your own words. So what's the problem? I mean, if this were state, we'd say it meant any state court. This is a tribe, so they're saying by analogy it means any tribal court. Now, what's the answer to that? There's a kind of black hole in this case. If this, was, if this were a state, we would say that it meant state court, court because of the 11th Amendment. I, we do not question that the tribe could have said, you may sue us, but only in tribal court. But the language of the contract simply does not indicate that. The language of the contract, especially when you incorporate the American Arbitration Association rules that say state or federal court, certainly does not indicate that the tribal court is going to be the exclusive court of jurisdiction if it indicates tribal court at all. Mr. Mashburn, you, you are now retreating from a position that you started out originally because you answered Justice O'Connor's question. If we're talking about personal jurisdiction, of course you can submit to personal jurisdiction. But before that, you were taking a position about the subject matter jurisdiction of tribal courts. You were saying that Parties can't confer subject matter jurisdiction on the court. And if we follow that reasoning, then you, your answer to Justice O'Connor should have been no. That these courts are simply powerless to entertain a case where one of the litigants is a non-member and the episode in suit occurred off-reservation. You started out. Are you abandoning that position? No, Your Honor. I may not have made myself clear. I was, I was attempting to respond in the sense that if that's the way the court reviewed what's going on in Montana as personal jurisdiction, I do not believe it is. I believe Montana speaks in terms of subject matter jurisdiction, and I do not retreat from the statement that if it is subject matter jurisdiction, that in the ordinary sense it would not be able to be conferred on the court simply by the parties agreeing to it. And if there are no other questions, I'd like to reserve the balance of my time. Very well, Mr. Mashburn. Uh, Mr. Coleman, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Respondent waived its immunity from suit when it entered into a contract expressing its willingness to submit to binding arbitration and judicial confirmation of the arbitration award in state court. We think that the test should be, with respect to evaluating a waiver of tribal immunity, whether the contract states a waiver by sufficiently expressed language or by overwhelming implication from the text, such that by applying traditional rules of construction, the only reasonable interpretation is that the tribe intended to subject itself to suit on the contract. What about a form selection clause? Would that com- comply with your test? Because you want to know what that says. But a standard form selection clause? I think if the contract otherwise says we agree to be sued and there is a form selection clause, that those together certainly would be effective. But it's not, not if it just says uh, in any dispute between the parties, the laws of the state of New York will apply. That wouldn't do it? I don't believe that that would do it, Your Honor. I'd would this clause have sufficed to waive state uh, sovereign immunity for 11th Amendment purposes if it were a state instead of a tribe? I believe not, Your Honor, for a couple of different reasons. First of all, the standards that the states have set for waiving their own immunity are matters of state law, and the states have adopted a variety of standards, so one can't speak of a uniform standard of waiver. But more importantly, the 11th Amendment developed in a different way. This court in Chisholm said that the states didn't have immunity from suit in federal court, and it took a separate Uh, amendment to the Constitution, which now emanates from the federal government to protect the states from suit. It is a federally imposed limitation on the federal court's own jurisdiction. It emanates, and therefore we believe it is somewhat separate and apart from the state's own sovereign immunity with respect to waiver. Have our cases delineated a narrower uh, immunity for tribes, Indian tribes? 
This court has stated a standard from time to time with respect to waivers, but the court has not really been in the position of having been asked specifically what that standard is. So the language from Santa Clara Pueblo has simply come forward to the state without really being used in a specific case and without being tested. And that is what is at issue today before the court. You're asking us to adopt a uh, rather confusing body of law. We have one set of standards for when an Indian tribe is deemed to have waived its sovereign immunity and another for the state. And why should we do that? I think I'm asking the court to adopt the same test, and that is the test set out in Edelman and repeated in Atascadero which is it should be sufficiently expressed or by overwhelming implication well, from the text. But per- perhaps I misunderstood. I-, I, thought, I thought you indicated to Justice O'Connor that this would be insufficient to waive immunity if it were uh, the state that was involved. Because the 11th Amendment contains a specific requirement as to federal court. Yes, but her question didn't just ask you about the 11th Amendment. It could be a waiver of, of suit, sovereign immunity pursued in the state's own courts. Let me correct my answer, Justice Stevens. I didn't understand it in that way. If there were authorization to waive a state's immunity in this fashion, then we believe that it could be waived by, by this kind of language. Well, what's the answer then? They say the words, this agreement shall be specifically enforceable in any court having jurisdiction, means in any tribal court having jurisdiction. And why doesn't it mean that? So why? I mean, that's a possible reading. Well, what's, what's wrong with their argument? We, we have two basic arguments. One is that we agree with the petitioner here that the subject matter jurisdiction of the tribal courts mm-hmm. is limited by Montana and by Strait, and that, therefore, because this is a contract involving off-reservation commercial activities, the tribal court's jurisdiction cannot extend to this type of activity. And therefore, there could be no expectation by either party that the arbitration confirmation would be in tribal court. Uh, We also would argue... Let me just interrupt you, if I may. What is it that imposes the limit on the tribal court's jurisdiction? You talk about Montana. Is it federal law, state law, or tribal law, or all three? I believe it's federal law, Your Honor. The federal law prohibits an Indian tribe from accepting jurisdiction, tribal court from accepting jurisdiction in a case like this? That's your position? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. The Wait, and the second, I'd like to get both. You, you had a second answer. I, I'm, this is in, I just want to know what your second answer is. Going back to the, to the basic analysis that this court laid out in Kennecott Copper, it talked about the fact that the state courts are courts of general jurisdiction, and in our dual system, The state courts are the only courts of general jurisdiction. And so with the 11th Amendment overlay, there is a question when you say any court of competent jurisdiction, that that means state court. But the tribal courts themselves are courts of very limited jurisdiction. And it's not clear that saying any court of competent jurisdiction would ratchet down to the tribal court, but would rather continue to apply to the state court, particularly when The contract is adopting state law. It incorporates the the Oklahoma Uniform Arbitration Act, which defines the only court under that act that can confirm an arbitration award as Oklahoma State Court. It seems rather strange to me that they can agree to an arbitration by the American Arbitration Association, which is a private body, but then they couldn't further agree that the the arbitration would be uh, enforceable in in uh, an Indian court. I think for on-reservation activity, there's probably that ability. But that wasn't done in this case, and I've not, not seen a case where there has been any agreement to do that. certainly don't think that contractors expect to be brought in to tribal court or to be forced to bring their suits to confirm in, our, in tribal court. Now, you say it allows them to get into state court because the uh, arbitration agreement incorporates the uh uh, the State uh, uh, Arbitration Act, which refers to a state court of general jurisdiction, right? That is one reason. But the arbitration agreement also incorporates the rules of the American Arbitration Association, which allows them to get into any state or federal court. Now, which one of the two do you want, do you want to have been incorporated? And wh- wh- why should we prefer the one rather than the other? If you're you, suing- you think they couldn't get into federal court? No, I think that they could, but not specifically by suing under the Oklahoma Arbitration Act. That would have to be brought under the Federal Arbitration Act. But I think under the rules, they could have gone into either court. 
they chose Oklahoma and they chose to come under the Oklahoma Act. So you're not contradicting the assertion that the rules of the American Arbitration Association were incorporated, which, which referred to both state and federal courts? Absolutely not, Your Honor. We agree that they are directly incorporated by the parties. And, in fact, if CNL had attempted to confirm its award in tribal court, there could have been of an objection that they had not followed the arbitration rules, which were incorporated, which they agreed to. They were bound by those rule as much as, rules as much as the tribe was, and they simply could not, under their agreement, bring that confirmation action in tribal court. And that is why we think under, under these, this, these circumstances that the tribe waived its immunity as to a confirmation suit in tribal court. And we think also that the United States' discussion of Feeney in its brief suggests that if they were to view the arbitration agreement as more than a simple agreement to arbitrate, but to evaluate the incorporation of those arbitration rules, as was the state statute in Feeney and as this Court considered by reference in Kimmel, that they too would agree that there has been a sufficient pointing to the Court that the action should be brought in that this agreement, taken as a whole and, in, and interpreted according to usual rules of construction, clearly indicates the tribe was willing to subject itself not merely to suit generally, but also to suit, or more specifically, to suit in Oklahoma State Court for confirmation of an arbitration award. Mr. Coleman, what do you make of the argument that, that going ba- back even before we get to the arbitration clause, that the people who negotiated this contract had no authority to do so because they didn't officially represent the business council? The state doesn't have a position on that, but what we will say is we don't believe that that is an issue before the court. It may be determined on remand if it's necessary. Uh, If the court determines that there has been a waiver, that there is a waiver in the language, certainly the tribe may want to uh, assert that defense again. But it comes up before this court with the presumption that authority existed. And certainly 25 U.S.C. Section 81, which was recently amended, clearly contemplates that the tribes will and can uh, waive their sovereign immunity in the contracts themselves. Was the authority contested in the Oklahoma courts from which this case came to us? There was an initial assertion that is my understanding that was asserted but was not decided. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Coleman. Mr. Minnis, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, an arbitration clause is just that. It's an arbitration clause. It is not a waiver of sovereign immunity, and it's certainly not one by the standard that this Court has adopted, which is clear and unequivocal. Isn't there more here than a mere arbitration clause? And let me direct you to the language that uh, that concerns me. I'm, I'm quoting it from page of the blue brief from page 6. The relevant language, page 6 on the blue brief, the the relevant language in the middle of the block quote is this. The award rendered by the arbitrators, and I'm skipping, shall be final, and judgment may be entered upon it in accordance with applicable law in any court having jurisdiction thereof. That reference to jurisdiction thereof uh, has to mean jurisdiction to enter judgment uh, on an arbitration award. So it is describing a court by reference to a certain kind of subject matter jurisdiction that that court has. When they agree uh, that, in effect, uh, they will be subject to a court having that subject matter jurisdiction, and when they agree that they are subject to any court having that subject matter jurisdiction, isn't that a pretty clear waiver? Uh, and doesn't it go beyond certainly merely an agreement to arbitrate? And doesn't it go beyond merely an agreement to be subject to a court with jurisdiction or with competent jurisdiction? Isn't it pretty darn specific in, dis- in, in identifying courts by reference to a certain subject matter? No, Your Honor. Why? This language, as we pointed out before, is a boilerplate language in an agreement standard form agreement between private parties. The language there in the arbitration clause is merely closes the loop. The first part of the loop is we're waiving in an arbitration clause our right to go in and have a jury trial on the issue of who's got the damages. Any contract 
is presumably enforceable in any court having jurisdiction thereof. All this does is close the loop and say, once your arbitration agreement, once you have your arbitration award, it can be enforced in a court of any court having jurisdiction there, just does, like it, the contract could have. But it does take it out of the ambit of those cases that have merely considered references to courts of competent jurisdiction, uh, in which the, the reference to the jurisdiction uh, in those cases uh, is far less specific than it is here. Isn't that true? In the, you mean in the, the language of the courts, that, the cases that said any court of competent jurisdiction? Yeah. I, I think it's just the same thing. I think it's said in a different way. I, I do not, I do not uh, agree with the justice that uh, the language is interpreted. You have to go in and, and uh, uh, construe it as you did when you uh, announced it. I think this is boilerplate language. It simply well, made it clear. What does the fact that it's boilerplate language have anything to do with it? Well, because it has the, what it has to do with is is the intention uh, of the parties to waive sovereign immunity, and if it's a contract that's not a contract tailored in any way for a government or any way for an Indian tribe, you're reading it. It seems like a, a party. Well, then, then then the answer is it isn't not it isn't a sufficiently specific waiver. I, I don't see why the fact that it's boilerplate cuts one way or the other. Well, Your Honor, let, let me cite. Uh, from Mastro, I mean, Mr. Chief Justice, let me cite from Mastro Buono versus Searson Lehman Hutton, uh, 514 U.S. 52 at 63, where this court was construing an arbitration clause that spoke about, that specifically said New York law will be controlling, and New York law in that instance allowed punitive damages. Suit was brought in Pennsylvania, and they said, New York law doesn't — this is going to be construed under New York law, therefore you cannot get punitive damages. And this Court said, as, as a practical matter, it seems unlikely that petitioners were actually aware of New York's bifurcated approach to punitive damages or that they had any idea that by standing, signing a standard form agreement to arbitrate disputes, they might be giving up an important substantive right. These were customers of a securities firm? Pardon? These were customers of a securities firm? I think, I, th- I think that's correct. And does it matter here that apparent we are told, and I gather without contradiction, uh, that it was the tribe that proffered this agreement? It was the tribe that proposed using this form? That is, that is, is that correct. correct, and doesn't that make a difference? Uh, under these circumstances, no, I do not think it makes any difference. Does the, word would, in, does the word in any court mean in any tribal court, in your view? Uh, it, it, it could include a tribal court. I what agree. else could it include? Pardon? You say could. What else? Federal court, state court, any court that no, does Well, well if it includes state court, then they've said shall be specifically enforceable in any state court. So that's the end of this case. No, but, Your Honor, it didn't say that. And I no, I'm saying, yeah. in your opinion, what does it mean? Does it mean in any tribal court? It, it could mean that, yes. When you say could, what else could it mean? <laughs> I, I, well... I don't want to uh, uh, divine the, inten- the intention of the Sorry, there are words, in right. any court. Right. I'm asking a simple question. You say those words do not mean, do not include state court. So I want to know what, in your opinion, they do include. Tribal court. Fine. Now, my next question is, is there a tribal court? Yes, yes Your Honor. All right. My next question is, has that tribal court ever considered an arbitration case involving people off the reservation? I am not sure whether they have. I'm not aware if they have. Well, they by, have. Do, do you know that they ever have? No. All right. You're not aware what they ever have? That's correct. All right. Is there any indication they ever considered any arbitration matter? They are a court of general jurisdiction, so that they would they could consider any case. That yeah, was but do you, are you aware, and you're their lawyer, yeah. of any instance in which any case involving arbitration was decided by this particular court? I am not aware. All right. Are you aware of any instance in which any? I'm doing a little cross-examination. I understand. But I'm trying, it's what, fine. I'm trying, what I'm trying to figure out is why would a contractor sign a contract to go to a court that's never even heard of, our, I mean, never even considered any arbitration matter. I mean, I'm trying to construe these words in any court. And you say they mean any, any tribal court. And after all, contractors are in business. They're business people. Uh, they they want to deal with arbitration. seems highly unlikely that that's what they would have meant or what anybody would have meant. Now, what's the response to that? 
I mean, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get a response to. This seems so unlikely, your interpretation, that I want a response to it. I, I would agree with, with Justice Breyer's perplexity if it were clear to me that the tribes say that they consent to jurisdiction in tribal court. That's, this is the first time I've understood that. Is it your position that you consent, that you waive immunity in tribal court? No. So you don't think it means tribal court? I, that's, I didn't understand your answer to Justice Breyer. You well, don't think it even means tribal court, right. do you? Well, I, 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 what I tried to say. You, you think it means any court that uh, you can get me in uh, without this agreement, which doesn't include any tribal court? That's correct. Okay. Is it a court on the moon? I mean, what, what is, where, what, there only are, to my knowledge, tribal courts, federal courts, state courts. What else is there? And there are any courts that have jurisdiction. It begs the question, which court has You say no court has jurisdiction because this isn't a waiver of tribal immunity. That's I correct. I thought you, your position was no court had jurisdiction. That's correct. Here or on the moon. That's correct. So, so the tribe, in effect, has, has asked the contractor to use a term which, in fact, is totally meaningless, utterly misleading, and apparently an act of intentional bad faith. Isn't that the consequence of your position? No, Your Honor. It, the, every, it means any court having jurisdiction. But, aha, there isn't one of those. Too bad. We didn't mention that. That seems to be the argument. That is the argument, Your Honor, but it's the argument any party that can tracks with any government except perhaps an Indian government May I interrupt you with this this question? We had a case a couple of weeks ago arose out of California contracting and problems. Suppose California had this clause as a standard part of all its government contracts, all its procurement contracts. Would it be enforceable or not? If California had it as part of their Precisely the same same language we have before us. They agreed to arbitration, American Arbitration Association, all the rest. Would that be an unenforceable or an enforceable agreement in your view? In my view, it would be unenforceable. Oh, it would. Even if they didn't all their contracts, they said this precise thing. Oh, well, it, This is standard boiler. You're using your term. It's boilerplate. They use it in all their contracts. Right. It's boilerplate. Created contracts created by them, not boilerplate in a contract created copyrighted by, by the American it, Arbitration Association. Well, they, they, are, they are the ones who tender the contract, just like your, con- your, right. your client did. Is it enforceable against the state or not, in your view? In my view, it would not be. In my view, it, it is that, that an arbitration clause is not a waiver under any, uh, of any sovereign immunity, except, as counsel is arguing here, if, if the party that is involved happens to be an Indian tribe. That's well, what I've not seen. I've never seen. You say any government other than an, uh, an Indian tribe government could make this argument. I've only been here a limited time, but I've never seen a state government make this argument. I thought that the state governments would argue the words in any court in our contract mean in any state court. And, of course, the state courts are open. They have waived immunity in those courts. It's a perfectly plausible alternative forum. I've ne- I, and so if there's some case where, the, where it is different between the tribal government and the state government, I'd like to know what that is, because my impression is it's the same. Well, maybe I'm deviating from uh, the focus of your question, but I, I, we've cited prepaid, Florida prepaid, where they discussed that the state does not consent to suit unless in their, in their own courts unless they specifically say it, even though they have that language. And... Uh, uh, so I don't, I don't understand how they, they could do it. Am I? Yes, yes, I'll look at that. I was in the dissent, I think. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Mr. Minister, the picture here is that a tribe selects out a certain form contract to present to the other side. And as I understood the way this thing unfolded, it wasn't simply the enforcement in court. The the tribe stayed out of the arbitration forum, too, didn't it? That's correct, Your Honor. So it gave the other side a piece of paper that says arbitration, and the whole thing was a deception. It was illusory. Well, it is a deception in, 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 in terms of uh, uh, a party who is not — if you say that parties aren't chargeable to know the law, which in Oklahoma they are, and the law is that you have to have a waiver — by the, uh, the the tribal government or, or the state government, then it's not deceptive. Well, there's there's also a rule, isn't there, in most uh, common law jurisdictions that parties deal in good faith with one another and don't 
pretend something which is just illusory as you interpret this contract to be? Well, <clears throat> I don't interpret this contract as illusory. Well, I, I just thought, interpret I you, this contract. Just I, deceptive, you said. Was that well, your did, wasn't, I, that, wasn't that your answer? I interpreted just, just a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm asking what your answer to Justice Ginsburg was, whether you didn't agree that it was a deceptive contract. I don't ex- believe it's a deceptive contract as a matter of law because everyone is chargeable with knowledge of the law, which are that Indian tribes have sovereign immunity unless they waive it. And they don't have a clear and unequivocal waiver here, and therefore — So the tribe brings this contract to, to, the, to the contractor. It says they agree to arbitration, any court having jurisdiction, but it really doesn't grant anything in the, that way. Absent, of, absent something from the tribe? That's correct, Your Honor. And I'd like to quote — the same thing is true of any municipality uh, in terms of the authority. Uh, uh, here is Nottingham versus City of Yukon, 766 Pacific 2nd, 973, at 975, 976. In this case — a city manager had compromised a claim. He said that's deceptive because the city manager didn't have authority. Here's what Oklahoma said. The Yukon city manager acted in excess of his statutory authority by attempting to settle and compromise a wrongful demotion claim. And then the court said, whoever contracts with a municipality does so with notice of the limitation on its or its agent's powers. Everyone is presumed to know the law, and whoever contracts with such a municipality or furnish its supplies, does so with reference to the law. If such persons go beyond the limitations imposed, they do so at their own peril. Well, of course, that just restates the proposition of what the law is and brings us right back where we started. But let me ask you this. Uh, f- for this uh, party, this, this contractor, are there any claims procedures by which uh, uh, he can re- request payment? So suppose he built the building and the tribe just didn't pay. If he built the building and the tribe didn't pay, then it, no, they wouldn't. It just like, just so like there, there are no. Is, can the, would he go to the tribal council and ask for a special private bill to get paid? I mean, is that they, the way it they works? could? They could, but that of course is not the situation here. Nothing happened here. But uh, but you're I'm, talking. I'm, I'm you're, asking what alternative remedies they are if you contract with this tribe and you've got this language in it, then the tribe says it means that you can't. There is no alternative remedy when you deal with a sovereign. You get the sovereign to waive the immunity, and you get the sovereign to do it as is provided for in, in its own laws, or you don't have the waiver. But you do. Well, I don't Other think states I, have yeah. the possibility of pursuing private bills, of pursuing oh, yes. uh, uh, yes. pursuing, admin, pursuing yes. administrative yes. Yes, claims adjudication. Yes. And I'm asking if any of those procedures have ever been exist with the tribe or have ever been pursued by other contracting parties. I don't know any other contracting party that I can think of right now who's ever had a problem getting paid for doing work that they perform for the tribe. So I, 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 I don't know that it's a situation that's ever arisen. Justice Scalia, did you have a, a well, question? Well, I was um, – no. It doesn't matter. Pardon? Thank you, Mr. Minnis. Uh, Mr. Gare, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In Kiowa Tribe, this Court recognized that Indian tribes enjoy sovereign immunity from suit in state court with respect to both their governmental and commercial activities. In deciding whether a tribe has waived that immunity, this Court applies the same stringent standard that that it applies in determining whether a state or the United States has waived its immunity from suit. Now, what is the authority for that, Mr. Garza? Was that said in the, the Kiowa case? Well, well, certainly this court in the Santa Clara Pueblo case. That was just dicta in Santa Clara, wasn't it? Well, it, 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 the court said that the, the test was unequivocal expression. And the court has, in the Potawatomi case, said that the test was a clear waiver, which certainly we view as being the same as unequivocal waiver. And the court, even in the Kiowa case, cited Santa Clara uh, Pueblo with, um, with approval. But do you think clear waiver necessarily means the same standard that uh, are required for waiver by a state under the 11th Amendment? 
Well, we, we certainly don't mean that, that unequivocal means one thing for a state and one thing for a tribe. The Court has always expressed the standard as unequivocal expression. In the Marion versus Apache, uh, Jicarillo Apache tribe, the Court um, addressed the question of whether because Indian tribes had different attributes of their sovereignty than the states or the United States, a different waiver standard ought to apply. But what's unequivocal may mean something different when you're talking about a state court and when you're talking about a, a, a tribal court. For instance, if I, if I I read this clause about, you know, you can bring suit in any, in any, uh, in any court having jurisdiction thereof. Uh, if, if the tribe were taking the more limited position, which I gather the United States is, that this was at least a, uh, an agreement to suit in the tribal court, okay? If I had this agreement with a state, I would think that it might be limited to just the state court. But if I entered in, into, into this agreement, with the tribe, uh, with respect to uh, real estate off of the tribal re- reservation, the notion of a tribal court just wouldn't enter into my mind when, when it spoke about uh, uh, in, in accordance with applicable law in any court having jurisdiction thereof. Well, uh, I mean, what's unequivocal depends on what you have in your — maybe in, in that, enough of a Westerner, I don't know, but uh, but a uh, — Tribal court well, wouldn't well that, that sort of interpretation, I think, goes beyond the four corners of, of the document that the court would be construing. And this court, in, in finding unequivocal waivers, has always limited its analysis to the language of, of the statute or the contract. Here, that would be applying a, a, an understanding or, or, or a belief about the availability of jurisdiction in tribal court, about whether tribal courts exist, that we don't know from the record in the case, and that I'm not sure would be reasonable in the case of no, a particular I'm, I'm assuming they exist. I'm assuming they exist. But I'm still saying that the reasonable import of that language, the unequivocal import of that language with regard to a state might well be that you can only bring suit in the state court. I'm not sure that it would be uh, the same when you're dealing with a tribe, and, and simply because uh, who, who thinks of uh, any court having jurisdiction thereof as, as a tribal court. But the, the, the court, of course, has said that in the context of the state and the Kennecott Copper case and the, and the College Savings Bank case. And we think that that makes sense as a rule of construction, that a sovereign, as, as, a, as, a, as a presumption, would only intend to consent to suit if it were going to consent to suit in its own courts and not but, a so, another but sovereign's courts. Yeah, but doesn't that presumption operate in circumstances in which the state is making agreements uh, in, in the state context, the state is making agreements for work to be done in the state. And if here the agreement were for work to be done on the reservation, uh, you'd, you'd have a, a stronger argument. But here the agreement is for work to be done outside the reservation, on non-Indian lands. Uh, and, and, and doesn't that bring us back to, to what Justice Scalia said, that uh, if, if you've got a contract which within its four corners makes it clear that you're contracting about work to be done outside the reservation. Well, the, uh, uh, of course, it doesn't the, have the implication that it's a waiver only as to tribal courts. No, we, we don't believe that it does. The, the court has held squarely most recently in Kiowa Tribe that the on-reservation, off-reservation distinction doesn't work for purposes of tribal sovereign immunity. This contract was entered into with the tribe. No, it but, it, it, into the, but the, quest, the question is, what does unequivocal mean here? What is clear here? Uh, and it seems to me that it, what is clear here will perhaps vary depending on whether the subject matter of the contract uh, is subject matter on reservation or off reservation. The, we don't think that the Court has drawn that distinction or should draw that distinction in this case. Why isn't it a sensible distinction to draw? In other but, words, we're trying to find meaning here. The, the, contractor, the contract was entered into with the tribe. The fact that the, the, the particular property underlying this contract was, was not on the reservation doesn't, doesn't add or, or subtract any ambiguity from the language that's in there, which is the in any court having jurisdiction language. It doesn't answer the ambiguity that this court identified in Kennecott Copper. It also might be helpful, at least to me, I would think, if, the, if any tribe is supposed to be tribal court. I'd like to know, do tribal courts normally handle arbitration matters or don't they? The, and the, you, you represent the Interior Department. I would imagine that they must have discussed this with you. The, so is, are there normally arbitration matters in tribal courts, or are there not? The, the record in this case doesn't reflect no, that. No, that isn't and a matter of the record. It's a matter of what the Interior Department and the government would represent. 
I'm not prepared to make a representation on that. It is clear, however, that, that this Court and Congress has, has recognized that tribal courts are perf- perfectly competent and capable of adjudicating important personal and property but rights. But this contract does refer to application of the rules of the American Arbitration Association. It makes some reference to the State Act. Both of those, in turn, refer to state at least state court and in the a in the uh, American Arbitration Association to state or federal court. The, the, the that, why, why isn't that part and parcel of the contract? Then we well, know what it referred to. Of course, it would require the court to go beyond the contract to to interpret it, which is no. I don't think so. It, the, the, the it con- refers to it within the contract itself. It, it asks the parties. The parties agreed that's what's going to be binding. The contract provides that arbitration shall be in, in accordance with the rules. Yes. If that's were all that were necessary, then the separate, ar- the separate arbitration enforcement provision would not be necessary. And moreover, whatever ambiguity is resolved by the fact that the rules provide for jurisdiction in federal state court, the fact that the contract omits that language simply re- reintroduces the ambiguity back into it. Just, now, just, just on, on this whole issue. Uh, you're arguing that this might be in tribal court. The, the tribe represented to us 12 minutes ago that it was not waiving its immunity in the tribal court. So this is this is just a red herring that you're introducing, it seems to me. We don't think so. We believe that the party's intent should be um, determined from the language in the contract as in any other contract case. And, and in reviewing this language, we believe that the language does not unequivocally express the tribe's Yes, but didn't the, didn't the agreement incorporate the rules of the American Arbitration Association, which refer to federal and state courts, and don't mention Indian tribal courts? Well, as I said, the agreement says that arbitration shall be in accordance with that. There would be no need for the separate enforcement provision of the clause if the reference to the if the parties thought that the reference to the rules alone resolved that. And the fact that the contract doesn't contain the the federal or state court limitation that's in the rules simply introduces ambiguity as to whether the parties intentionally omitted that. Now, with respect to the, the choice of law provision, we don't think that the separate choice of law provision itself can unequivocally express the tribe's consent to suit in state court. And moreover, the Oklahoma Uniform Arbitration Act, by its terms, is inapplicable to the contract in this case because that act only uh, applies to agreements which provide for arbitration in this state. And the agreement in this case did not provide for arbitration in Oklahoma. So that act doesn't apply. Well, well, why why couldn't you say it provided for arbitration in Oklahoma by virtue of the fact it could be brought in any court of competent jurisdiction? I, I, I think that gets back to the question of what courts would have competent jurisdiction. But, but it, it is giving the, the plain meaning to the language providing for jurisdiction in this state. We think that the, con, that the law requires that the arbitration contract to provide for arbitration in Oklahoma. That's not uncommon in this context. Suppose I thought that in winning this case, the tribes would lose the war because they'd have an awfully hard time getting people to contract with them. And, and what, some, what, yeah, in general, what contractors will go into this kind of thing with your fine-spun arguments being used against Some them? tribes. So what is your answer to that? Some tribes, like, like some states in the United States after 80 years of its existence, have decided to waive immunity from suit on breach of contracts actions. The, the Navajo Nation has done that in its laws. Each tribe will have to make that determination on whether or not to waive its immunity from suit in any given case. In, in Kiowa Tribe, this Court recognized that Congress was in the best position to, to weigh the competing policy concerns and reliance interests in this area. The Court is, has consistently recognized the unequivocal expression standard. We don't think that, that unequivocal should, should mean one thing in the case of the states, which, which even here today have acknowledged that this type of language would not waive their immunity from suit in federal court and should mean another thing for the tribes. Thank you, Mr. Garr. Uh, Mr. Mashburn, you have three minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, unless there are further questions, we would waive our rebuttal. Thank you, Mr. Mashburn. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.